This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. We went to our kids and we said, guys, listen, we could go to Uganda again. We could get a referral. We could meet this child. And the judge could still say no because they have ultimate authority. Is it worth it? Like, are you willing to enter this with us? And they all 100% said, yes, yes, of course. And I turned to the one child who had really, really struggled. I mean, like serious, like panic attacks, anxiety, a really big deal. And she said, I don't think I can go through it again. I don't think I can go through it again. What if the judge says no? And I said, the judge could, like, is it worth it? And she said, yes. So we we gave our, told our agency and we said, yeah, we're willing to do this again. And on my birthday, February, we heard about our little boy named Friday. From Christianity Today, you're listening to Adopting Hope, a podcast about adoptive, foster, and spiritual mothering. I'm Joyce Koo Dowerbull. And I'm Sasha Parker. We're both moms, and we're both adoptive moms. And on each episode of our show, you'll hear from a mom and sometimes a dad about their journey in adoption and foster care. Our hope is that this podcast provides hope and encouragement as you hear these stories. Whether you're an adoptive, foster, or spiritual mother yourself— an adoptee, or someone who just wants to encourage and love adoptive and foster parents. These stories are all windows into the gospel, the story of a God who adopts us and loves us with a redeeming love, and whose love empowers and compels us to extend that love through the unique joys and challenges that come from adoption and foster care. Thanks for tuning in. We pray this encourages you as you listen. And even when our hearts are breaking, Jamie Cabe and her husband Clint have seven children, five through adoption. Mike and I first got to know Jamie through the ministry their family started, Lifesong for Orphans. We have enjoyed getting to know her at Lifesong's annual fundraiser, Celebrate Life. After some setbacks in the adoption journey, Jamie began to ask the Lord for his perspective. She felt the Lord saying to her, it's not about you bringing a child into your family. It's about bringing your family to a child. This perspective shift opened her eyes to the unique needs in the foster care community. In 2011, Jamie started the Forgotten Initiative. The mission of TFI is helping you support the foster care community through awareness, encouragement, and advocacy. She now has a podcast focused on foster care called The Forgotten Podcast. Jamie, we're so excited to have you here today. And we really wanted to hear how your adoption journey began. As a little kid, did you have thoughts of adoption? And yeah, tell us how the Lord prepared your heart for this. Sure. Um, No, I did not have any thoughts of adoption (laughs) as a little kid. Didn't know much about it. Didn't really ever think about it. When we got married, I was only 19 when we got married and we started trying to have kids a couple of years later and and we got pregnant very easily. And um, so 
I do remember um, a few of our friends asking us like when we were engaged or married, so are you guys going to adopt? And for me, that was very much like, oh, well, only if we can't have kids. Mm -hmm. Like that was the way I thought about it and didn't know much more. And in fact, it scared me a lot. Like when I thought about, ooh, adoption, like what would that be? Like, I just know I don't, that's not something I want. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was. Mm -hmm. But God in his way has a way of making us aware. Ultimately, that awareness led us to action. So I had my first daughter, Paige. She's 17 now. And I will never forget, it was a day she was probably two months, three months old. She was on the bed, laying on the bed. I was doing laundry and I was listening to the radio and there was a story of adoption being played, Stephen Curtis and Mary Beth Chapman's Mm. story. And I can still feel the um, pit that formed in my stomach. And I Mm. felt like, oh, Lord, I hope you're not trying to tell me something. Mm. So that's where I was. Mm -hmm. Like, it was like, no, 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 no. I don't want this. But, you know, over time, my family got involved in orphan care ministry. My parents started Life Song for Orphans, which is an orphan care ministry. Um, So we just started to become exposed to it. Some of our friends brought kids home from Mm -hmm. other countries. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my, these are kids, not just statistics, not just an idea. Mm -hmm. And again, so that awareness just slowly just kind of opened up our hearts and and we kind of became curious. And you started with adoption, but it led you to to foster care, which was, was that another surprise for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that just the, that openness to adoption opened our eyes to, okay, there's a whole nother world out Mm -hmm. there. Um, For us, adoption started in Guatemala. We ended up with our son, who's now 13, and brought him home. And in the meantime, had had another daughter by birth. And ultimately, like I said, that awareness just opened our eyes and we became available. So we ended up in Guatemala. Once we're there, we kind of felt this it just opened our hearts even more. Mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about adoption and foster care now. Mm -hmm. At that time, I was just curious and learning Mm -hmm. more, right? Mm -hmm. The passion has come. And so since that time, then when we tried to, after adopting Hudson, we kind of had that bug. We caught the vision Mm -hmm. and we tried to adopt again and we tried to adopt from the United States. Okay. And this time we wanted to adopt a baby, an infant. And in domestic adoption, Mm -hmm. the birth mom will choose your family or not. Mm -hmm. And in our case, they did not. And Mm -hmm. they did not. And they did not. And over and over and over, our profile, pictures of our family, stories of our family was shown to birth parents and we would not get chosen. Mm -hmm. And it was a very emotional difficult time for me because every time I'd hear about a baby, which was often, I thought this is going to be my baby. Mm -hmm. And then it was a no. And Mm -hmm. it was a no. And ultimately, though, through that time, God taught me so much. He taught me that one, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. He taught me that he really is my everything. I remember a time specifically in May, this was 2008, and we heard about a baby with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Mm. and she needed an adoptive family. And at that point, we hadn't had no idea about special needs. We had no plan to adopt special needs. We didn't really want to adopt special needs, but God opened our hearts to this little girl, and we we told the agency that we would take her. We wanted her. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, though, that didn't happen. Mm. And I remember when we got the no, I just fell on my bed, and I just cried, and I called my husband. Mm. And I said, please come home. Like, I need you. Mm. And um, he did. And then it took several months later where we were getting a lot of no's again. And I remember being at a restaurant in on a vacation 
And we heard about another baby who we thought might be ours and it was a no. And I remember walking up to our bedroom or our hotel room and Clint said, do you need me? And I said, I think I just need to be with the Lord right now. And I just fell on the bed again. I just cried out to God and I said, Mm -hmm. I don't get this. Like we want to do this. You say adoption is a good thing and Mm -hmm. we're here. And we're ready and we're obeying yeah. and you're saying no. And it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And I just felt like God said, Jamie, like think back months ago when you were hurting and disappointed, you called for Clint first. Mm. Now you're calling for me first. Mm. And so just that shift in perspective um, and ultimately another shift came later than when mm. he really taught us that it's not always about bringing a child into mm. your family. Mm-hmm. It's about bringing your family to a child and maybe mm. even to their family which is what opened her eyes to foster care. Tell me about that. Like if you could unpack what that means about bringing your family to a child. I think for for us, as we're thinking of adoption, we're thinking we're going to bring a child in. They're going to become ours. We're going to take care of them. And it's the, it's their, they're adding to our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the whole shift in perspective was, okay, we're going to be there for a child to help them in their time of need. We're going to love them. We're going to get attached. And yet we're willing to say, mm-hmm. you're going to go home. Mm-hmm. We're going to love a family. We're going to cheer on birth parents. We're going to say, mm-hmm. we want you to succeed. And it, no matter our emotions, we're in this for you, not mm-hmm. so much for us. That's how it shifted for me. And how did you help your kids navigate that? The roller coaster ride of just the nose. And what mm-hmm. did you do to help them? walk through that? So it was kind of a normal thing now for Mm. them. um, They were little. So Mm -hmm. our three, we had three at the time when we were going through all of this roller coaster. So they were like four to, Mm. you know, and Mm -hmm. then maybe throughout those couple of years up to six. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, definitely they knew about it. They saw me crying. They saw Mm -hmm. me hurting. I don't think they felt it in the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, but we just continued to remind them that God has a plan Mm -hmm. and remind ourselves that God has a plan and that we're just here to be obedient. Mm -hmm. But I do remember the day that we got the three kids, uh, or actually they were, it was two at first. Um, After we entered foster care classes, we we realized really even more so what foster care is, that the goal is to bring a family reunite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, the goal is safety for a child and permanency for a child, but they always hope that a child Mm -hmm. can be reunited to a healthier family mm-hmm. unit. And hopefully that's their own. Mm-hmm. And so I remember hearing the call about our two little boys, Dade and Bobby, and they they came. We didn't know much about them. They were brothers. They were three and seven months mm-hmm. old. Oh, wow. They're little. They were little. I remember Paige was, I think, six or seven at the time because oh, she was my. coming off the school bus when they pulled up. And I just remember her screaming, they're here, they're here. (laughs) And I remember walking out to the car and meeting them for the very first time and seeing Dade and he was so quiet and so scared, Mm -hmm. um, the three-year-old, and then seeing Bobby just so little in his car seat. And I picked up Dade and I just said, I am so glad you're here. Mm -hmm. And it was like, that was the moment that I was like, okay, Lord, you've been preparing us for these guys. And at that point, we didn't know. They have since become ours forever. We did not know that at that point. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to help them reunite. Five months after that, their sister joined our family also. She needed a home. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we went from ultimately having three kids to six kids in about five months. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. How old was their sister at that time? Two. 
too. Two. Oh my goodness. So, so we close in age too. Yeah. So I think it was like seven years old, five. I think then we had a four, three, two, and one, basically. Oh my goodness. At that time. And you wow. know, I'm thinking of your story and how when you're crying out to God and it was just no, no, no for so long and you're just and you're feeling like, okay, God, I'm trying to obey you. I'm right. trying to and I'm doing the hard of obeying you and yet you're not holding up your end of the bargain, it, it appears. Yeah, right. But then God has this other plan. And sometimes I think he takes us to the end of what we envision on our knees before we. he kind of opens up this whole other door. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Um, and you had not envisioned, but has since blossomed into this ministry Maybe sometimes we have to go through something like that mm-hmm. to prepare us. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I love how you shared that the Lord was teaching you to go to him first before your husband for just mm-hmm. your needs. And now you are a mom of six kids. Actually, <laughs> under- at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you In have the story. all these children. <laughs> yes. At this point. I mean, what was it like going from three to the six? I mean, the daily, that is a huge transition. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I mean, that's when I first realized that I was falling into depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when yeah. we got head lice. We got staph infections. I got wow. my wisdom teeth pulled. Oh. I mean, we moved. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So I, I mean, very much went into a spiral Mm -hmm. and I remember looking out the window and going like kids were playing beautifully. Mm -hmm. And I thought I can't do this Mm -hmm. or I'd be driving kids to preschool. And I'm generally a half glass, a glass half full person. And I think I can't, I don't, I don't, I can't Mm -hmm. do this. And so that took me to the doctor where I realized that I was depressed Mm -hmm. and they talked about just how your body, I mean, just the chemical imbalance of all of these stressors yeah. that it's like your body's just going in a spiral and it's very common um, mm-hmm. when we have so many changes. And so I started medication and I mm-hmm. remember struggling through that because mm-hmm. I felt like that means I don't love the Lord like I should, Aww. or that mm-hmm. means I don't depend on him like mm-hmm. I should. And ultimately he spoke back to my heart and said, no, this is my provision for mm-hmm. you. And I remember the day when I felt like myself again. I was driving mm-hmm. kids to school and I it was a beautiful day. And I just said, kids, it's an awesome day. And all of a sudden I like caught myself <laughs> and said, I'm back. Wow. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just to feel like myself again. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there was, it was hard. I mean, it mm-hmm. was like life turned upside down. But we also implemented some really important things. We started mm. a, every two week date night for Clint and I that we continue this to this day. Um, that was just a game changer for our marriage because mm. we needed that time together more than we had ever needed it. I have become, I used to be not very structured. I have become, I love, like organization is my love language now. Oh, and you need <laughs> you know? that in a big you family just need especially. It, right. Mm-hmm. And I think God has wired me to love a challenge. And so like there is a piece of it that it's like, okay, how are we going to do groceries? How are we going to do, you know, a buddy system? And I would create all these little systems that would work for a time and then mm-hmm. we'd have to change them. But that part I still enjoy. I mean, we're now navigating COVID in school mm. and it's like, okay, let's get a system. Not to say that, I mean, there's a lot of overwhelm still, right? Yeah. But that's some mm. of how, how I, we navigated yeah. that. <laughs> I think those are some great things of just um, how to help people who are kind of feeling like 
they can't do this, that they're mm-hmm. overwhelmed, um, and how to come out of that mm-hmm. place. Because when you're in that place, you have no idea how you're mm-hmm. going to get to the it's other terrible. side. I'm Absolutely. glad that for you, you were yeah. able to get the help that you needed. And even just to be reminded that that's a normal piece to the story, to yeah. just be completely overwhelmed, to not know what you're doing. Even though there's all this preparation that takes place, it's a lot of work and yeah. you're dealing with trauma each day. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How you helped your kids work through some of their trauma and mm-hmm. maybe some resources that were helpful? Yeah, I think that and trauma shows up in different ways and mm-hmm. at different times. And so as they get older, you know, mm-hmm. there's different things that we're navigating and we're identifying and helping them identify counseling is huge. Mm. I'm a huge fan of counseling. I think almost all of us have had it. And if we haven't all, we will at some Mm -hmm. point because Mm -hmm. it's just, I just love it. I think it's so important. Um, I think that just what I tell my kids a lot is whatever you feel is okay. I want to know what you're feeling. When they talk about birth parents, I listen and I mourn with them. Mm. When they feel those things, I really don't take it personally like it's not an attack against me it's mm-hmm. a it they should feel love for their birth parents I mm-hmm. want them to and I do feel sad with them that they've had this loss and I have learned to be able to sit with them in the pain instead of try to fix the pain mm-hmm. I remember one of mine when he was little a lot of times he would react really big to something that seemed really small and I was like something is up and generally I would say to him are you thinking about your birth family And probably 95% of the time he was like, yes. Mm. And it was just like, that was how he was able to navigate it was through outbursts and anger and Mm. overreaction, allowing my kids to write out their feelings, allow them, like even saying to them things like, I really am, this is what you've experienced and trauma impacts you. And this is some things that I want you to see, you know, as they get older, I'm able to, Mm. we're able to talk more about like, here's a pattern I'm seeing. And I think you don't even realize you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I want to help you because I want you to have freedom. And so just really trying to identify like that. And there's so many times that I don't do it right. Um, I'm just praying though all the time, Lord, help me to see my kids the way you see them. Mm, Help me to help them to always feel safe to talk to me. Mm, Yeah even my littlest one, which we haven't introduced into the yes. story yet. <laughs> but um, a couple of years after we we ad- adopted, so our, we fostered for a couple of years and then all three of them needed adoption. And so we mm-hmm. said yes to them, um, to adoption. And then a couple of years after that, I just kept like, it just never felt like, I felt like we had room for one more. It wasn't so much that we needed another child mm-hmm. or that my arms felt empty or mm-hmm. anything like that. It was just like, we have another spot in our van. We have another seat at the table. Mm -hmm. I just feel like we have room for one more. So we met some kids from Africa and they had come through the organization my parents run. And I just remember saying to Clint one night, honey, I don't know what's going on, but I just feel like maybe we're supposed to pray about adapting from Mm -hmm. Africa. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) how did he respond? (laughs) He said, we can pray, but don't don't (laughs) expect anything. (laughs) He also did say, do not look up any pictures. And I did not listen to him very well because I did look up a picture and then I'm like, yep, I'm ready. (laughs) So, um, but we, we actually took that one very seriously because of going through depression and because of 
all of, I mean, having six kids, you know, it was like, we wanted to make sure, are we being foolish? Like, is this something mm-hmm. that God is calling us to, or are we actually just being foolish and think we can just save everybody? Mm-hmm. And so we talked to our parents, we talked to counselors, we talked to people just to say, you see our lives. Like, do you feel like we can take on another one? Mm-hmm. And ultimately people were very supportive and said, I do. Mm-hmm. I feel like the things you have implemented in your life, you have the support, you have the structure. And so we tried to adapt a little girl Actually, we got a referral. We met her. We're with her for 10 days in Uganda. And ultimately, the the judge ended up saying no. So we oh. left mm. her expecting to go back in a few weeks and got the call that it was over. And mm. that was incredibly painful. Because mm. um, you had already met her too. Like this oh, is- Yeah, we had had a referral for months. Oh. Just, I mean, for any adoptive families out there, you know that yeah. how much you feel mm-hmm. love for these kids yes. through pictures. I mean, as you just... You, you dream about them in your life and you love them and you want the best for them. And ultimately God, God had his way and it was, it was right. But to hear the no was just gut wrenching mm-hmm. uh, because at that point we really believed that it was going to happen. So we took some time off and we just said, okay, Lord, is this you saying no to this adoption, mm-hmm. like whole idea of adoption for mm-hmm. us? Or is this just, do you have another plan? Right. And so we took some time off just to heal um, because it was incredibly painful for our kids too, especially yeah. one of our kids. Ultimately, we came back and said, "Let's." we feel like if we say no to adoption, it's out of fear of getting hurt again because it mm. hurts a lot. Yeah. But that's not what God calls us to, is to live in fear. And so mm. we felt like we're going to move forward with adoption. This was in January. It had ended in October um, the previous year. And we went to our kids and we said, guys, listen we could go to Uganda again, we could get a referral, we could meet this child and the judge could still say no because they have ultimate authority. Is it worth it? Like, are you willing to enter this with us? Mm. And, I love how you brought that to the kids as a mm-hmm. whole family because you're all mourning. Right. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to hear their perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they all 100% said, oh. yes, yes, wow. of course. And I turned to the one child who had really, really struggled. I mm. mean, like serious, like, panic attacks, anxiety, mm. and it's really big deal. And she said, I don't think I can go through it again. I don't think I can go Aww. through it again. What if the judge says no? And I said, the judge could like, mm-hmm. is it worth it? And she said, yes, mm. it's worth it. So, um, we, we gave our, told our agency and we said, yeah, we're willing to do this again. And on my birthday, February, we heard about our little boy named Friday mm-hmm. and he, needed a home and he was two at the time and everything about his whole journey, getting him and meeting him. And it mm. was just like, it was meant to be. Wow. And he is my baby. Now he oh. is eight. Mm. Um, and we got mm. to live in Uganda for a month with him to finish wow. up. The process. Wow. Been, I mean, when you, when you are living out in faith, yeah. it's hard and painful and scary oh my goodness, it's an adventure. It mm-hmm. is. Did you bring any of your children with you to Uganda? Me and Bobby. So Bobby okay. was, um, he's the youngest. Well, he was the youngest. He's 10, 11 now, but he mm. was six or was mm-hmm. he five? Um, I think he was five and he wasn't okay. in school yet. So, okay. so Clint was home with five of the kids. Wow. And I was in Uganda with Bobby and Friday. And oh my goodness. The reunion when we all got to reunite <laughs> was amazing. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Mm. I'd love for you to talk about um, the Forgotten Initiative, which 
focus is on foster care. And Mm -hmm. how did this uh, ministry get birthed? Because obviously you had very little time and you're almost (laughs) in the midst of all of this. Like, how did this vision come to be? Yeah. So the ministry was founded, we founded it in 2011. So we brought in the kids, the three kids in 2010. They became ours. So at this time, we are just like hungry to learn more and our eyes are being opened to this whole new world of foster care. And so through that, and it was even in the waiting before the kids all came or it was kind of in the midst of that, I can't quite remember, but I learned about, you know, foster care, foster care agencies and the workers. And I saw a video that was put out by a ministry called The Call. And it was of a little girl around six years old sitting in an office waiting for a phone call to tell her that she had a foster home. And the worker was in the room with her on the other end of the line, just, oh, you can't take her. Okay, I'll try someone else. Oh, you can't take her. And everybody was saying no. And of Mm. course, the video was a depiction, but it just like broke my heart. Mm. That was so it had to have been before the little the little ones came because I was just hungry to do something. You know, we had Mm. we were trying to adapt for a couple of years and it wasn't working. And so now I'm being made aware and So I just walked into our foster care agency with my, we had the three kids at the time, just the first three. And we didn't know what to expect, but I just wanted to go to the state agency and just say, okay, I have to know more. Can you please help me to know more? Because I'm hearing these things and I didn't know. And can you show me where kids wait? Can you just help me learn? And Mm -hmm. so they showed me into these rooms where kids will visit with their parents or where they might wait. And it was just like, ugh, like everything just felt institutional and there wasn't anything nice about it. And I just kept Mm. thinking of these kids being pulled from everything that they know and Mm. coming to a place like this. I was just like, this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. Can I do something about it? Mm. And ultimately the conversation went a little bit like, are you going to pay for it? And I'm like, sure. And they're like, okay. (laughs) Wow. They're like, great. You just run (laughs) with that. Yeah. (laughs) So we were able to bring in, I just got on Facebook and just started recruiting family and friends at that time and just said, can we make a space that says you are special to these kids? Can we come in and just, you know, just make it into a comfortable, welcoming space? And I just told people, you can't give me your old stuff. You have to buy new. These kids don't need our leftovers. They need our best. And so ultimately we got to bring in, we just recreated these spaces in this agency and then in another agency in town. And then I started to get to know um, workers more because at this point I'm just hungry to know more. And I find out that diapers are often a need. And so mm-hmm. I organize a diaper drive. And again, just through Facebook, just like, let's get diapers. Let's try to get a hundred diapers, boxes mm-hmm. of diapers for these agencies to help the kids so that the workers can focus on the kids and not on mm-hmm. running out to the store in the midst of a, tri- mm-hmm. a transition. Yeah. And we were able to get over a hundred boxes of diapers and wipes combined. People started sending them from all parts of the country, even someone from Japan, <laughs> like mm-hmm. someone read my blog and was in Japan and sent them through mm-hmm. Amazon. And it was just an incredible opportunity to see a couple things. One, the church really does care. They just mm-hmm. need to know how to help. They just don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So many of us don't, right? right. They just need help getting connected. And also to see the the impact that it had on those who worked in the agencies mm. was incredible. They were blown away. They were mm. so grateful. They could mm. not believe that we were there for them. And mm. so it just taught me so much that people want to help. 
Mm-hmm. They just don't know how they, they simply need someone to make a connection yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. And that's really mm-hmm. how the Forgotten Initiative started, is wow. started out as a Facebook page. Um, wow. And I'm just in my community trying to learn, trying to hear the needs. And then I'm going out and talking to people in churches and say, here's how you can help. I, I believe you want to help from what you said. You know, you want to be mm-hmm. the hands and feet of Jesus. I can help you do that. Yeah. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not here to do it for you. I'm just here to get you connected. Mm-hmm. And as I share, as I'm sharing the journey on the blog, I have someone from Birmingham, Alabama, who reaches out and says, "Hey, I have been following along. I want to do this in my community. Can I? Mm-hmm. Can you help me get started?" And I'm like, sure. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but sure, mm-hmm. let's do this together. And then someone from a community away reached mm-hmm. out and said, I want to do this in my community. And mm-hmm. over the years, that has consistently happened. We're now in 40 communities across the nation. Awesome. And our national team, so where I serve now, I'm out of the local. We have local leaders in every area that are all volunteers. And in order to help them, we have built up this national team and we're bringing them community, connecting mm-hmm. them to each other. We're coaching them on a regular basis and we're also resourcing them so that mm-hmm. they can go out and do the work of helping people support the foster care community and that they can build connections between the church and the agency. And ultimately, we just want to see more people supporting the foster care mm-hmm. community and we want to see people experiencing Jesus mm-hmm. together. Because we believe that I know from my experience, when I have helped and supported someone who's very different than I am, mm-hmm. I learn so much. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm the the one who's like the savior mm-hmm. reaching down. No, I get to draw closer mm-hmm. to my savior mm-hmm. and hopefully I can bring his hope to them yes. as well and they can draw closer mm-hmm. to the savior. But that's the ultimate goal in yeah. everything that we do. We want to see people experiencing Jesus together. So mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I don't know how you have time for all that you do. You also have a podcast. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that and maybe share a story of um, just redemption? I know you interview a lot of adults who grew up in foster care and maybe aged out and just share a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, and just to uh, just to know on that time issue, there's a lot of really awesome people surrounding mm. me. I'm not doing this all on my own. This mm. there is awesome people and my husband at home, my kids. I mean, I delegate a ton to my kids too. But mm. the team that I have here in this office with me, they mm. are just outstanding. And they I get to do these awesome things because they're mm. doing so much work. So mm. just wanna say that. Yeah. But the podcast is a great blessing to me to be able to host Mm. and interview people. Sometimes it's foster parents. Sometimes it's workers. Sometimes it's a pastor. Sometimes it's, like you said, someone who's grown up in foster care. One of my earlier podcast interviews that is still one of my favorites was with a girl named Nicole. Mm. And she grew up in foster care. And I just remember this as she shares her story. um, She was, I'm forgetting a little bit, I think four or five or something like that, maybe somewhere around that age. And her life had been so difficult and so hard that she found herself at that age, sitting on the ledge of her apartment building, thinking, I just want this all to end mm. as, as a grade schooler. Mm. Um, and she said she did not know God, but she felt him say, no, you, there's more for you. Mm. Like I have a plan for you. And to see her life now, I mean, she is an incredible woman of God. And I just think like, God, 
even when we don't know him, he is there, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think too, that's just the reason we as people, we're not the saviors. It's not all on us. Right. It is on us to be obedient. It is yeah. on us to step out and be available, but we don't do the redemptive work. Mm-hmm. Like that's on him. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I see the need and it's just like, where's the hope? But mm-hmm. then you hear these stories of God intervening, like in mm-hmm. Nicole, and then you're like, yes, God's been here all along and he just, he, there's hope and mm-hmm. there's yeah. no situation where mm-hmm. there's no hope. Mm-hmm. Right. What are some words of encouragement that you could offer to foster families, adoptive families in the midst of hard dealing with trauma? Do you have any words mm-hmm. that you can give us? Yeah. I think the first thing is you are not alone. Mm. Um, we are in this together. Do not compare what you know about yourself and your inner, you know, we're easily critical of ourselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are, right? So I can, you know, sit and go, man, I blew it with my kid or I had this Mm -hmm. thought about my kid that I don't like. And then I go see someone else or you might listen to this interview and go, oh, well, Jamie would never have that thought. (laughs) And that's just Mm -hmm. not true. So just remember not to compare your circumstances, your struggles, your overwhelm with what you think other people might be feeling because we all feel it. And there is always hope. There is Mm -hmm. always hope. Like God is here so many times. Like when I look back on some prayer requests that I've had over the years and I just go, you answered that. Like you showed up and it wasn't in the way I thought but it was in the way that was so right Mm -hmm. and reach out for help. I think let's just be people who realize we don't have all the answers and we don't need to. That is Mm -hmm. okay. Let's be people who are humble and say, I need help because that's when I found the most, I feel like I've experienced the Lord and beautiful unity with other people when I've been real and just said, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm I, I feel like I'm messing things up. I need help. Mm -hmm. And, and I just think let's be people who are willing to step in there with each other, Mm -hmm. not make judgments on each other, Mm -hmm. not condemn each other because that's the work Mm -hmm. of the enemy. Mm -hmm. But let's just, let's just do this together. We need each other. I want to go back and ask one more question about the Forgotten Initiative, because the first time I saw the name, Mm. it just kind of struck me. And I'm just wondering how you all came up with the name. I'm sure there's a story behind that. Yeah. um, Basically, it's not a very exciting story, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) we were driving to Florida. So we, when we started, because my parents started Lifesong for Orphans, they are focused on orphan care and adoption um, and a lot of overseas stuff. And so there was no like local focus. There was no Mm -hmm. foster care focus. And as I am learning about foster care, I'm talking to my dad and going, dad, I think this is something maybe our family needs to be about. And I remember him saying like, wow, why is Life Song not about this? Like, this is something that mm-hmm. we need to be about too. Like we didn't know. And so as, you know, my family is getting into this work and as I'm learning the needs, I just remember saying, dad, I think there's something here. I think there's, I think this could be a ministry. And I remember him continue to say like, just show me a model, show me a model. And so as I got this model and we started, we kind of became developed or enveloped under Life Song for Orphans, Mm -hmm. kind of the foster care side of things. Mm -hmm. And so 
the forgotten initiative, there was a couple things. One, it was kind of like the quote forgotten initiative of life song. Like we didn't know, you know, yeah. um, someone of us didn't know, you yeah, know, we didn't know. Yeah. Right. But, but really more than anything, it was that as I went in and got to know these kids and these parents and these workers, like no one knows that they're out there. Mm. I mean, people, they feel forgotten. They feel mm. alone. They feel like they're not seen. And I just want us to shed light on these mm-hmm. people yeah. um, because, you know, even as a foster parent, you feel misunderstood, you feel mm-hmm. overwhelmed, you feel forgotten, you know, people don't understand it unless you're in it. And so really that's the main reason mm-hmm. is that this community, so often the people in this community feel forgotten mm-hmm. and we don't want them. We don't want them to, we that's want them to feel known and seen mostly mm-hmm. by the Lord, but also by those in their community and people yeah. around them. And right. by the church too. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in many churches, we do maybe talk about adoption, you know, the adoption through the Bible of God adopting us, but not as much about fostering. Yeah. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how to shed light about foster care um, in in the Christian community. I mean, I think ultimately it's about people. So it's easy to kind of talk about the system or the problems or the things like that. I always look at it like these are people who are, there's families who are in crisis. There's birth families who have lost their kids um, into care. There's agency workers who are just trying so hard to do right by these families and kids. And it's difficult working within constraints, right? There are foster parents who care deeply about kids and just want to help. And there's kids who've experienced trauma and they're not quote bad kids, but their behavior sometimes are very difficult because of the trauma that they've gone through. And so I just think the more we can help people see the human side of Mm -hmm. this community, the better. So just, you know, directing people to our, our podcast to our Mm -hmm. Facebook or Instagram page. Mm -hmm. We have a book series for kids in foster care. It's called Mm -hmm. the Who Loves series. And it's for kids ages zero to three. There's three three books, zero to three, three to six, three to seven, and then basically seven to 10. And it just kind of walks through who are the people in their community. So many of our kids in healthy families don't know police officers, don't know social workers, don't have judges in their life Mm -hmm. on a regular basis, but our kids in foster care do. Mm -hmm. And so I think those, that book series is a huge tool for churches even to have in their nurseries and in their school, you know, Sunday schools and such, because they bring awareness. It's not only, I remember reading those books to some kids in my church who have not experienced foster care. But what those books did is it highlighted to them, oh, I know a kid who his parents are divorced or I know a kid who, you know, has struggled in this way. It like just opened their compassion eyes Mm -hmm. um, for Mm -hmm. other people. And so Mm -hmm. I think just the more we can get hopeful, encouraging resources into the Mm -hmm. hand of people, not so much condemning you should do this type resources because condemnation and shame and all of that, that doesn't do much except create more condemnation and shame. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, Jamie, such a beautiful story. And just even in your own walk with the Lord, just seeing how he met you in that broken space and, you know, picked you up out of that miry pit and set your feet on a secure rock and foundation. And then just to see how you in turn, you could have just sat on that secure rock and stayed there, Hmm. but you brought that light to these places that needed light and needed to be remembered, needed to have a voice, needed for people to see these spaces. And so we're just so grateful for you to take us on that journey just to enter into these different spaces that we really didn't either didn't know about or ha- or have forgotten about. So mm-hmm. it's really just so beautiful to hear this. And then also just to kind of, you know, we all have experienced this in our journey you know, we once you your eyes are opened and you see mm-hmm. the need, you don't really feel okay anymore right. just sitting, knowing about it and not acting out mm-hmm. to do something. So mm-hmm. I we're so thankful just to hear the different tools that you have created for people to use um, within their churches and their communities. And it's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see what comes from just, you know, people being aware. Absolutely. And just to, we want to help more people start these Mm. ministries in their community. And so if any of our listeners here are interested, you just simply go to the website, you get click on a get started form to become a TFI advocate. There is absolutely no commitment. It's Mm. really there to help you identify what this role is and to self-identify if it works for you and for us to assess if we're a good fit Mm. for each other. Because we really, we are really um, passionate about our leaders. And we mm. also know that the Forgotten Initiative is not the only way to go about this, that mm-hmm. it's one way and it's our way, but mm. there's a lot of fantastic ministries out there. Thank you so much, Jamie. Yes, we um, we are excited to point people to that website, the Forgotten Initiative, and to spread the word. So thank you so much for sharing with yeah. us. Thanks for letting me be here with you guys. It has been a real treat. We've got this hope. We've got a future. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment and help us spread the word. Share about it on social media or leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. Adopting Hope is a production of Christianity Today. It was produced by Mike Cosper, Joyce Dalrymple, and Sasha Parker. It was edited and mixed by Alex Carter. Our theme song, We've Got This Hope, was by Ellie Holcomb. We'll be back next week with another story. Thanks for listening. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.